0: So one of the things that we all love about Christmas is our tree, right? Our trees. And, and, you know, like how you decorate them and when you decorate them and what kind of music do you listen to when you decorate them. We all have these traditions that we pretty much practice as we go through the years. And so in the room today are three kinds of tree people. Yep, every one of you. There's three kinds of tree people in this room, all right? So the first kind of tree person that there is in this room is the kind of person who wants to go out into the hill country and get your tree. You're going to go out with your two bare hands, and you are going to be Clark Griswold incarnate, if you remember the saw. And you are going to go, and you're going to get that tree, and it's going to be the Perfect living Christmas tree that your family's ever had. So you trapse out there and you do this thing in the snow, or in the sixty-nine degree weather in Austin. How many people are this kind of tree people? Come on, raise your hands. Raise your hands. You, yep, you barbarians, murdering trees, taking squirrels' homes. Second kind of person, second kind of tree person, is the kind that you want a live tree for sure, right? But, but you're you're just you don't want all the work, you don't want all the hassle. Who needs it? So you traipse through this parking lot at H E B or at uh, Home Depot, and you look for the perfect tree. You're trying to find the tree because it's important to have a real tree like the tree that was in the stable at Mary and Joseph's. Right. Now, these kind of people, they don't mind murdering a tree. They just don't want to get sap on their hands, right? Like in some, now check this out. In some cities, you can actually have Uber deliver your tree to you. Like if, like if you knew that Uber would deliver your tree, who, how many people would do it? How many? Come on, don't be ashamed. I'd do it. I'm like, yes. Still others, right? Third type of person. Other people, they, they don't want to kill any trees. No trees murdered. So they traipse out into the garage and find the box that their tree is in. And they take it out of the box and they put it up. Yeah. And there's a reason that people do this. What is, what is this reason? I'll give it to you in one word. It's hyphenated, <laughs> pre-lit. <laughs> just saying. Just saying, so much convenience. Like you just do it. You make it happen. Instant Christmas. How many people? Show of hands. How many people? This is you. This is you. Yep. Merry Christmas, Scrooges. We all have these different, we all have these different traditions uh, when, we, when it comes to our trees. But once it's decorated, at some point you, you know, you kind of settle down for the evening, and maybe you've got the playlist playing with Bing and Mariah. And it comes to the moment where you're gonna sit down and share the Christmas story. And th- listen, this story is incredible. It's an amazing, magical story with just ordinary people doing extraordinary things. The Virgin Mary giving birth to the Son of God. Joseph, her loving fiancé who stays with her through the pregnancy to marry her. The baby Jesus. Yes, the baby Jesus. There in his halo, in that setting Wrapped in human flesh to save us. Now, at One Chapel, we've been doing this series. Where we've been call, calling One Chapel, Christmas at One Chapel. And we've been reading from this verse, this obscure verse from a pr- prophet named Micah. Micah 5.2 in the Message Bible. I just want to read it. It says, But you, Bethlehem, David's country, the runt of the litter... From you will come the leader who will shepherd rule Israel. He'll he'll be no upstart, no pretender. His family tree, everybody say family tree. His family tree is ancient and distinguished. Now that was written hundreds of years before the Christmas story ever came to be. And we usually start with a Christmas story around Luke 2, right? We we start in Luke 2, but did you know that the Christmas story actually starts in Matthew chapter 1? I don't know how many of you do the daily Bible reading, but sometimes you're doing the yearly Bible and it comes around to Matthew 1 <laughs> and it's there and you're like, oh my goodness, what this, is, this doesn't have anything for me today. The reason you say that is because Matthew 1 is the genealogy of Jesus, name after name of people you don't care about. And so it's, you got to see it. It's Jesus' bloodline in Matthew 1. It's his family. Jesus might have said, this is my family tree. And so it's kind of fun, right? It's big business these days, you know, Ancestry.com, right? Lots of people tracing down their history. And, you know, it's interesting for us, but, I mean, let's be honest. It's not that interesting for other people to know about your history. They don't care. None of your history really gives them any benefits, and so we kind of we kind of don't understand what this was for Jesus. In Jesus' day this was a really big deal to go through this. The gospel of Matthew was written to a Jewish audience and they were interested in where the Messiah was going to come from and he's presenting the Messiah in this way. And the best way to explain it would be to understand it to be think about it like your resume. If you're presenting your resume, it's like your portfolio or if you if you're a if you're a designer or an artist, it'd be like your reel real that you would show people. And your ancestry would get you into the right places and the right conversations. And they would qualify you or disqualify you for certain things. The Messiah is this massively important figure in Jewish history. And everyone knows he's coming to deliver everyone. And he's the king who's going to put everything right. And he's going to get rid of all the bad things. And then he's going to reign forever. But in order to be the Messiah, you got to fulfill a lot of criteria. And throughout the scriptures, there were 700 prophecies, 700 prophecies that were fulfilled by Jesus, like where he would be born, the scripture we just read, or things that would happen to him. And he also had to prove that he was a descendant of King David, King David, the guy that killed the giant named Goliath. You might know that story. This is one of the prophecies, and you had to show that you were a descendant of King David in order to be the Messiah. So Matthew takes Jesus' genealogy all the way back to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But this is where it, like, stops making sense. Because as you read through it, you realize all he needed to do was prove he was from David, he didn't need to provide a bunch of other details, which he begins to provide. What we find as we read through Matthew 1 is that the branches of Jesus's family tree are quite twisted. He doesn't hide it. Instead, he kind of flaunts it. Now, most of us, we curate our resumes, right, to, to convince other people that we're up to the task. There are some bosses we don't need new bosses talking to. And so Jesus does the exact opposite. Total opposite. In Matthew 1, 5, here's what it says. It says, Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Rahab. Now, what's so interesting about Rahab? Well, she's a woman. And in the ancient world, no one would include a woman in this kind of list. And this is a, this is a patriarchal society. Like, this is a man's world. And so it's only, it's not the only woman in this list. There's a bunch of other women in this list too. And, and so Jesus came into a world that treated women poorly and he elevated them. In fact, no one elevated women as much as Jesus did. It's a really important thing to remember, but she, here's the problem with Rahab. She was a harlot, prostitute, Right? Her story is in the book of Joshua. You can read it there. Probably not something you want to include in your family tree, if you're Jesus. Matthew one three, the next verse, it says Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. So Judah and Tamar have these two kids, but Judah and Judah is Tamar's father-in-law. Not good. This is a major scandal. Like this is like a Netflix documentary scandal. Like, this is bad. Now in, now, in his defense, he didn't really know that she was his daughter-in-law, and he thought she was a harlot, and it doesn't really make the story better, does it? It's crazy. Like, what is being listed here? Why would you include this? Skip it. It doesn't have to be here. Matthew 1, 6 says, David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Now, finally, we get to da- Are you guys, like, glossing over with me? Are you still with me? You're like, it's Christmas Eve. We don't need the history lesson. Come on, stay with me. Stay with me. Finally, we get to David. And we had to get here if Jesus is going to be the Messiah, right? It reads, father of Solomon, who had been Uriah's wife. What? Why are we bringing up previous marriages? Like, just, just say the father of Solomon or David and Bathsheba or just David. And so he kind of, he's mentioning Bathsheba who is Solomon's mother, but it's mentioning her by the name of her dead husband. And we're talking about adultery here. This is a story that's awful. We're talking about murder. Uriah is out fighting a battle that David should have been fighting with him. And instead, he's lounging around at home. That's where he finds Bathsheba. David steals Uriah's wife are you, are you still with me? And then she, he, he sends Uriah into battle to the front lines to be killed to cover himself. This is nuts. And still it continues. You have people who aren't even Jewish in this list. Ruth the Moabite, Rahab is a Canaanite, sworn enemies of the Jews. He's even confessing, I'm not even pure-blooded. Jesus is. Why does Matthew do this? Why does he do it? Why is Jesus's genealogy presented this way? I think it's for a specific reason. It is appropriate that the genealogy of Jesus is listed, that his family tree would be messy. And the reason is because it says to us that our mess is not too much for him. Our mess is not too much for him. Here's the reality. Humanity is a mess. Like we're a mess in part because of a tree. Check this out. If you go back to Genesis 1, Genesis 3 actually, early in the story, you'll find a tree called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And it's contrasted with a tree of life. And the tree of life is allowed to be eaten. But the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, God says, don't eat of it. It'll kill you. It'll do something bad. And there's this serpent that shows up that represents the devil, and he talks to Eve. Actually, as I was reading this story, I was reminded of a a lady in Australia who had a Christmas tree put up, and she found a snake in her Christmas tree. Check this out. It's right here. It's pretty amazing. She had all this stuff in her tree, and then she finds a snake in it, and it's like a tiger snake, super dangerous, super venomous. And so totally like totally weird to have, find a snake in a tree, but not all that uncommon. So um, <clears throat> here in Genesis 3, we see it in verse 4. Now, look, this is what the serpent says. He says, you will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some of it and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. So here's what's happening. God's telling them, don't eat this tree. It's not good for you. The servant says, no, no. God is holding out on you. You want to eat from this tree because something will happen to you. You, you, Your eyes are not opened. And so they chose to disobey God and they chose life on their own terms instead of God's. They chose to bring into their lives what God said would bring death. And there's more than one kind of death. You know, there's physical death and then there's spiritual death. And this idea of how this happens in a person becomes really clear if you look at your own christmas tree at home because truthfully on the outside that christmas tree it's kind of pretty it looks fresh but on the inside it's already dying the brilliant preacher and pastor adrian rogers said it like this he said Adam was very much like a Christmas tree, cut off from its roots, brought into the house and decorated. In some ways, it may look better in the house than it did out in the wild. But what happened when it was cut from the source of life will show sometime after New Year's. The truth of the matter is that it is often called a living tree, but it was dead when it was cut off from the source of life. So it is with man. See, this is what has happened to every person In the world, we are separated from God by sin. The act of reaching out and controlling life for themselves is what Adam and Eve did. And it created a massive gulf between us and God. And and we've been trying to get back ever since. And Adam and Eve began to die at that very moment inside and physically as well the same things happening to us and nothing in our lives seems to fix it we we there's this sense that there's a beautiful and perfect life that we're living according to your instagram but in reality dying on the inside there's a dread that nothing in the world is enough to heal your heart or bring it back to life but you're looking and you're searching and you're seeking What you're searching for and what we're all seeking for is what we were created for, which is to know God intimately and be in a loving relationship with him. The big problem is we're all dead spiritually inside it, and we're dying physically as well. I've never been more convinced of it at this age. Gravity is winning It's just like my body is wearing out and we're all different. We all like different things, but we're the same. Every one of us are the same in regards to the grave. And to die physically, listen to this, to die physically while being dead spiritually means you're stuck in that state, separated from God, disconnected from his presence with a great chasm between us and his mercy That's what the Bible calls hell. But that's not what God wants for you nor for me. That's why he's, as he's passing out consequences at the tree in Genesis 3, check out what he says in verse 15. He says, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his head. Heal. This is a picture of the coming of Jesus as a human offspring who would overcome death and bring life, resurrection life into the world. That's this, this Christmas season. Christmas is when God made good on that promise in Genesis 3.15. Because God's gift for us didn't go under a tree, but on a tree. God sent his son, born of a woman, under the law, born into terrible times, times such as this. God's gift to you as a person, is it's a person who brings light and love and his own life into our world. He came to earth from heaven. He died on a cross. He paid the penalty for our sins. This is what Christmas is really about. Christmas isn't a holiday. Christmas is a rescue mission. Christmas was a rescue mission. That's what Jesus was sent for. Jesus came to seek and save those who were far from him and lost on their own. He didn't just die for you. He died as if he were you. He took your place. He took my place. The apostle Peter Quotes the prophet Isaiah when he says he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. This is the miracle of Christmas. Christmas is about Jesus dying on the cross. You see, there is another tree, the tree of life, and that was the cross that Jesus died on. It's depicted here by the artist Eric Holmland entitled The Christmas Cross. This idea of a tree where Jesus hung, where he gave of himself, where he took the penalty of sin and separation and took it upon himself so you and I would never have to. The tree of life. See, Jesus Didn't just die. He didn't stay dead. He actually rose again. And he's here tonight. And he's knocking on the door of your heart this Christmas. He had all these people, think about it, in his bloodline, all these messed up people. He entered into our shame and disgrace as humans. See, Christmas is for everyone. It doesn't matter what your history is. It doesn't matter what's in your family line. It doesn't matter what has gone on in your twisted branches within your family history. And you say, wait, pastor, this isn't exactly what you said from Micah the prophet when you read it. That, that said, it said something about being distinguished. Well, we're just talking about one side of his family. See, there is another side. It was his dad's side his father's side. And that's found in John 1, 1. It says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. See, Jesus was sent, but he was fully human and fully divine, fully God, fully man. And here's the significance of it. So he could take humanity in one hand and take the hand of his father in the other and bring us together again in relationship. Jesus isn't just the best way. He's the only way. Christmas isn't about going to heaven when you die. Christmas is about having heaven in you and making you alive today. That's what it is. And I want you to get that message. When you look at your Christmas tree tonight, when you see it, it's there. It's trying to drink up all the water you've given it or have forgotten to give it. It's already dead on the inside. It represents us, and we need something to bring life to the inside of us. We all need Jesus and his light and life. I want you to just bow your head and close your eyes, and I I want you to just think about what this means for you. I want you to consider what your life is about. I want you to Pray in this moment, on this Christmas Eve. Maybe it might, might be the first time that you've prayed a prayer like this. Maybe it's the first time in a long time. It doesn't matter. Jesus hears your prayer. Maybe you just, you're just you here and you feel like your family tree's all messed up, and you can't fix it. You can't seem to, can't seem to fix it in yourself. You're sitting here and you you think i just i christmas is so hard cuz my own heart is filled with darkness i want it i want to encourage you tonight jesus wants to overpower the darkness with his light he wants to come in and do something amazing in your soul to change the meaning of christmas to help reimagine and reestablish what Christmas is really about His forgiveness, His mercy, His healing in your history, his, his work in your own soul, His life being poured into your brokenness, His grace coming with His provision, His peace. Christmas is the best time to receive a great gift from God. It's it's the best time to come to a conclusion and to say, yes, Jesus, I need you. Come. Come and work in my heart. Come and take up residence there. Come and heal my family tree. Would you pray this prayer with me? I'm going to lead you in a prayer. And I just want us all in this room to just kind to of pray in our in our own way right here but I want you to ask Jesus to come and make you new so Father I come in this room full of friends, family and we come to you and we acknowledge that our families are busted up that our history is broken that we are a mess but we need you. we need you it's the only way we can clean up the mess It's the only way we can get healing from our history that's broken. It's the only way is when you come and you touch our soul, when you bring your light and your life and you overpower the darkness, let it come into our lives in these moments, right here in this place. Would you do a miracle in our hearts? Each heart far away from you. Forgive us for keeping you at arm's length. Forgive us for doing our own thing instead of your thing can forgive us lord for missing the truth of christmas and the rescue that you're trying to provide for us we look to you tonight we say yes to you jesus I pray for each heart I pray that each of us me included i i say yes to you jesus help me to recapture the truth of christmas Help me to surrender to your work in my my soul, in my family, in my history. The brokenness of the past, you're the only one who can make it right again. You're the only one who can take me and change me, transform me from the inside out. I surrender to you, and I ask you to fill my life with your light. And it's in Jesus' powerful name that we pray. Amen. should have just look at that flame heavenly peace it comes one way it comes from the light of the world Jesus himself and God's plan was that Jesus the light of the world would put his light into all people and that his people would then become the light to the world around them. And so here as we're thinking about peace and how much we need it, I think we ought to lift our candles high and we ought to close with a Christmas prayer that we will be the people who will bring light into the darkness of this world and we'll share the life of Jesus that lives inside of us. Come on, let's pray it together. Father, we just lift our candles to you as a symbol. We lift these lights high in the air to communicate to you and to others that we want to be the people you've called us to be, that we want to carry light and life in our hearts. And that when we go to work, we're going to share it. When we are with our families over the next week, we're going to share the light and life, that we're going to be the kind of people that bring light into every dark situation and every circumstance, that we'll be people of life and not death, light and never darkness. And so, Lord, we hold these high. Work in us. Transform our hearts. Give us the peace that transcends all understanding, heavenly peace that we can then give to others, offer to others, share with others. Lord, we want to be the ones, we want to be the people that will be the light of this world to share who you are with others, our neighbors, our friends, whoever you lead us to. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity. We thank you for what you've done to bring us peace thank you for your life that lives inside of each one of us. We choose to follow your pattern and to share it with others. It's in the holy and wonderful and beautiful name of Jesus Christ that we pray this prayer tonight. Amen.